Hello! Welcome back to the Red Fern Book Review. I am your host, Amy Mayer, and today we're going to look at a pair of books that both examine women's roles in the 20th century. And in both these books, women were allowed or reached beyond the traditional roles that were available to them at the time. And the first book we're going to talk about is called Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. And it was the finalist for the Booker Prize in 2021. And the second book we're going to look at is a social history uh, called Barbizon Hotel by uh, Vassar historian Paulina Bren. But before we get to both those books, I wanted to mention a show that I just started watching, which I think dovetails nicely with these books. Now, this idea was given to me by my friend Karina, who listens to the podcast and gives me very constructive criticism, which really helps me shape um, shape my program. And she suggested that I talk about this show, Why Women Kill, on Amazon Prime, and also the book Recipe for a Perfect Wife by Karma Brown. And I've actually read that book, and I thought uh, these two, the show and book, were a foil to the other books that we're going to talk about. So Why Women Kill is a stylish, darkly soapy show set in Pasadena in three different time periods, 1963, 1984, in 2019, and it was produced by Mark Cherry, uh, who of course created Desperate Housewives, and it features an impressive cast including Jennifer Goodwin and Lucy Liu. And the storyline is all these, they're women of the house, all living in the same Pasadena mansion, and they're all mad at their husband and are out to kill him for various transgressions. And really what it is, is social commentary about the roles and um, what was going on in women's lives at that time. And what I really, my favorite character of all is Lucy Liu, who plays um, the woman of the house in 1984, and she's just got her hair spritzed. I imagine she's using Sebastian Spritz from the 80s. She's got sky-high shoulder pads and mutton chop sleeves and is encrusted in jewels and that would make the cast of Dynasty proud. And she finds out that her husband is bisexual and so the man kept his life secret. So with that, it, I wanted to mention um, a book, a Recipe for a Perfect Wife. And this is also a similar premise and what it is, it features Alice Hale, who's a contemporary woman uh, working in publishing, and she moves to the New York suburbs uh, because that's where her husband, they just got married, and he wants to go. So she's kind of finding her life. She had this kind of high-flying life, and now she's finding herself in a traditional role, and she's not happy. So one day she's in her basement, and she stumbles across um, a box of clippings, and from the previous homeowner, Nellie Murdoch, who's a classic 1950s housewife. So in the clippings, she has finds all these recipes for things like tuna noodle casserole and uh, pineapple upside, upside down cake. 
And then later on in the book, she um, comes across some letters. Uh, Alice comes across letters that Nellie's written to her mother, and a mystery starts to unfold. And all I'll say from there is if you look at the front cover of this book, it's a blood red cover with Nellie in a frilly apron, and over the eye and wife is a little skull and crossbones. And at the beginning of each chapter is a recipe. So I will let you draw conclusions about what might happen to her husband and how. So um, from there, I also wanted to mention this book got me thinking about one of my favorite books, The Hours by Michael Cunningham, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And it won the Pulitzer Prize in 1998. And it features three women also across three time periods. There's a modern woman, contemporary woman, Clarissa Vaughn, and she is, there is a woman, a pregnant wife who's very unhappy in the 1950s, Laura Brown, and then there is Virginia Woolf, the author in 1920s England, who's struggling with depression and mental illness. And there's a way, and you'll find out if you've read the book or when you read the book, that all these three storylines intersect. And this book um, is a play or a takeoff on Mrs. Dalloway, which is Virginia Woolf's novel written in 1925, where she details a day in the life of Clarissa Dalloway, who's a fictional high society woman in post-First War England. And it's one of her best known novels. And I actually, years ago, about 20 years ago, we did both these books at the same time for um, the book club that I was in. And it was really fun. Half of us read The Hours, half of us read Mrs. Dalloway, and then we compared and contrasted, which I thought was really cool. And I just wanted to throw in one more title. Um, My mom gave me a book when I was getting married called The Bride's Guide to Marriage, and it was published by one of the women's magazines like Mademoiselle or Glamour, and it was kind of unbelievable. My mom is traditional. She was married in the 1950s, and even she just, we were laughing our heads off at this book, and it talked about when what how to be a housewife. There's one chapter on um, having a career, and the others, I remember specifically, it said things like, make sure you put your lipstick on when you wake up in the morning before you put, um, put the coffee pot on, because next thing you know, you'll be you know, a dis- disheveled wife. And literally, there was this whole thing about uh, women, how to do exercises for fatigue from housework. So with all of that, we're going to move over to uh, two books that are kind of the polar opposite, and they're about women that just went for it in the 20th century. One is a fictional book and historical fiction, and one is nonfiction. So the first book we're going to talk about is Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, and this book was the finalist for the Booker Prize, and this book is just it's a saga. It's an old-fashioned book in that way. There's not that many books like that. It's over clocks in at over 600 pages. Um, It's super long. 
It's not a difficult read. It's an involved read. And it, all the characters are fully fleshed out. So if you're looking for a book just to sink your teeth into, this could be for you. So Maggie um, is a New York Times bestselling author, and she's written the books, uh, novels, Astonish Me and Seating Arrangements. She's a graduate of Harvard and the Iowa Writers Workshop. And what happened with this book, she was at the Auckland airport, and she happened upon a bronze statue of aviator Jean Batten. And there's a picture I've seen, you can look it up, uh, this bronze statue of this trim woman with a little bob, and she's got her arm up in the air, and her other arm is weighed down by um, a bouquet of flowers. And she finds out that she was a huge aviator and one of the first people, I think she was the first person to go from, say, New Zealand to London. And then what happened was, you can imagine, I just picture her, I mean, authors are always looking for ideas. And I picture Maggie kind of thinking, oh, what am I going to write about next? And running across running into the statue and thinking, oh, thank goodness, I found something. And so she just, that was her jumping off point. So she decided to write about um, female aviators from the early 20th century. And her thought was, what is it like to be free and live a life of truth and scale and um, just kind of go for it? So the way this book starts out, it's 1914, and there's a captain of a ship, a big ocean liner, and before the ship boards and he's taking on, um, you know, all the luggage, one of his friends says, I need you to take on these crates of things, but I can't tell you what's inside. And this guy's a bad guy, and I think he's like an arms dealer. So in these crates are explosives. So this captain takes on the things, no questions asked, and they explode um, mid, kind of mid-cruise. So there's a fire, and the ship's going down. And on the ship are the captain's two twin children, and Marion Graves and her brother Jamie. And their mother had postpartum depression, and she um, she ends up dying. So they don't have a mom, and they've got their father. And then their father does the worst thing of all, which, as the captain, doesn't go down with the ship, but in fact grabs the twins, gets on a rowboat, and survives. So then he ends up going to jail, and he hands off his children to his brother, and they are raised, or essentially not raised, in Montana. So these children, it's, you know, early 20th century, and uh, Marion, as a young girl, doesn't have a strong female figure, and she's just kind of running free in Montana, you know, um, making tree forts, um, playing, jumping, jumping through... Um, you know, cross streams and climbing trees. So I think she's having a good time, but she has this kind of uh, 
jerk of, a, of an uncle who's raising her and no father. And eventually when the father gets out of jail, he doesn't want anything to do with her. So when she is a young woman, um, well, let's say a young, a girl actually, 12 or 13, a pair of barnstorming pilots come to town, which during that time, pilots would pass through small towns and do um, put on shows. So it was a man and a woman and thinks, wow, maybe I could do that, and begs them to take her on a flight. So then Marion hops aboard and gets to go on one of these flights, you know, with the open air um, passenger seat and kind of going low over the land and seeing the landscape. And she's just hooked. But the problem is she doesn't have any money. She's a woman and she doesn't know how to get lessons. So what happens is from there, we uh, follow her life and she has uh, has to end up or she ends up with a dangerous wealthy bootlegger who helps her um, and she ends up marrying him uh, who subsidizes her lessons and then she has a true love who's someone else and his name is Caleb but of course he's a dark figure and has lots of problems uh, then we also go deep into her brother who is also an artist. And the second part of the book, which to me really isn't nearly as important, is about Hadley Baxter. And what she is, is she's a current modern-day figure, and she's an actress who's basically been canceled uh, for doing, um, being caught doing bad things. So she ends up taking on this role... Um, that she doesn't really want, which is to play Marion Graves in a movie about her life. And so the uh, book goes kind of between the two different time periods. And this this part's okay. Um, Maggie doesn't pay as much attention to the modern uh, Hadley ba- the modern character, and I just didn't care as much about it because I'm more into historical fiction. But you might like kind of um, the juxtaposition. So, and the other thing I should mention is on the very first page, we do know that uh, Maggie is going to die and disappear in 1950 while she's attempting to circumnavigate uh, the world by the North and South Poles. And so Great Circle refers to, it's an aviator term, which is the shortest distance between two locations. And you know when you're on a plane and you see, um, they'll show like a uh, the travel arc and it's like a three-dimensional kind of like um, arc. That's the idea of a great circle, is that often um, it's faster to go higher and long, what appears to be longer, but it's actually shorter. And I'm not an aviator, so I can't explain much more than that. But I think Great Circle is um, meant metaphorically and literally, um, the title. So, uh, let me see. Oh, what else did I want to add about that? Oh, yeah. Okay, the other thing I wanted to add is she, while Maggie's writing this book, she takes the time to talk about a whole bunch of other female aviators that you may not, may or may not know about. And of course, she'll know about Amelia Earhart. And she talks about Beryl Markham and a woman named Amy Johnson. And 
but that got me thinking. I cannot talk about this book without mentioning Circling the Sun, one of my favorite books of all time, and that's by Paula McLean. And I know I've mentioned this a number of times on the podcast. This book is fabulous. It is about colonial Kenya in the 1920s, and it is about uh, Beryl Markham, who was a side character in Out of Africa, and I'm sure you've seen the movie. And she has the affair with Dennis. And she's part of the Happy Valley set, which is a decadent bohemian community of European expats who live in love by their own set of rules. And so this book was just great. And I loved it because she's... um, uh, Beryl Markham's running around Kenya in the 1920s and jodhpurs and riding horses and doing what she wants to do. But then when she does go home to visit England, she has to fall back into a very traditional role. So I kind of love that idea that women in the 20s could have this kind of alternate life, but they had to go, they had to go somewhere else to do it. And with that, I wanted to mention West with the Night, which is Beryl Markham's autobiography, and it's supposed to be excellent. I have not read it, but it's a classic memoir of Africa, aviation, and adventure, and it was the inspiration for Paul McLean's Circling the Sun. Okay, so with that, we're going to move to the last book I wanted to talk about, which is um, The Barbasan, The Hotel That Set Women Free by Paula Bren. This book is fabulous. I put this book down as one of my top 10 of the year, and I also put it on my recent um, Christmas or holiday gift list. And what this book is about, it's about, um, it's a social history, and it is about the best-known women's hotel, and it was built in the 1920s in Manhattan, located on East 63rd Street. And it was built incorporating a blend of Italian Renaissance, late Gothic revival, and Islamic decorative elements. It's an imposing structure. It's 23 stories high, encased in concrete, and faced um, with this distinctive salmon-colored brick. And it has limestone and terracotta decorative elements. So it's a very distinctive building. It has an indoor swimming pool, And when it was built, there was a restaurant, beauty salon, and it was was really unique. And I just wanted to pull up and mention, there are so many famous women that came through the doors, either um, in the short term or the long term. And I'm just going to read out some of them because it's quite amazing. So people that stayed at the Barbizon included Lauren Bacall, Little Edie, uh, Barbara Bel Geddes, Candace Bergen, Betty Buckley, Joan Crawford, Joan Didion, Rita Hayworth, Grace Kelly, who I have to mention is not who we think she was from the movies, but I'll get to that later, Cloris Leachman, Ali McGraw, Liza Minnelli, Sylvia Plath, Felicia Rashad, Nancy Reagan, Jessica Savage, Sybil Shepard, Mona Simpson, Jacqueline Smith, Jean Tierney, and Eudora Welty. And you'll also notice with that, most of these women were in the arts. 
and um, because that's who it attracted. So this this idea of the women's hotel is really unique. And what it was, it was a way for women to legitimately get out of the house, get out of their kind of traditional roles, because the idea was that there would be, um, they would they would be chaperoned. So there were rules and there were uh, curfews in the hotel and no men could get beyond uh, the main floor. In fact, many women, men tried and she does talk about there is someone, one or two that did get past um, the main floor. And of course they thought they, that they were very proud of that. Um, but some of these women came, you know, it was really for middle class uh, white women uh, or upper middle class. Some of them had graduated from the Seven Sisters schools. Uh, and this was just maybe a way station for most of them because they knew they were going to have to end up getting married and have kids. Uh, and then for others, they just were... They just went there and decided to go for it. And most of them were, it attracted women in the arts, a lot of them. So a couple of things going on there. Um, One thing, this is not in the arts, but there was the Catherine Gibbs Secretarial School, which rented two floors. And she writes a lot, Paulina writes a lot about this school. It was a prestigious secretarial school where you learned to be that kind of old-fashioned secretary where basically you ran your boss, your male boss's life and um, did things before he asked for them. And they had a certain look, certain way they wore their hair. Uh, They were extremely well-dressed. And the Ford Modeling Agency ended up having rooms there. And then Mademoiselle Magazine also... Um, had rooms there. And Mademoiselle did a very interesting thing um, to kind of uh, promote their magazine and also become more relevant to women. They ended up every year having a uh, contest, a writing contest. And the winner would stay at the Barbizon and then intern at Mademoiselle for the summer. And this was incredibly prestigious. So Sylvia Plath was one of the winners. And she actually wrote about um, the the Barbizon in the Bell Jar, and she called it the Amazon. And she had a miserable time, and this was um, kind of the beginning of her um, mental decline. And she talked a lot about hating being there. And because when you were there as part of Mademoiselle magazine, you had to wear certain clothes and go to certain parties and have boyfriends, chaperone boyfriends. And, um, it just was like not her, her deal. Joan Didion, uh, took time out from Berkeley and also won, she won this contest and lived there for a summer. And, uh, this, what else was I going to say? Oh, I thought this was kind of a fun fact. When I was uh, reading, researching for this um, podcast, I found out that in the 1960s, a room would rent for $6 a day. And this, uh, the Barbizon went co-ed in 1981. And Ricky Gervais has lived there or did live there. And Another fun fact is there are still, the Barbizon's been converted to condos, but there's still 11 women who, due to rent control, still reside in the building after 40 to 50 years, and guess what they pay? 
they pay $113 a month. So um, this book, why did I like it so much? I just thought it was really fun. Uh, Paulina writes this as a social history, and what she does is she talks about... um, follows different women as they come through the hotel. You know, typical woman, if she wasn't famous, came from, say, oh, um, Indianapolis, Indiana, and she's kind of wide-eyed and, um, you know, comes with a suitcase. And I actually found out that there was a period of time where women had to have a suitcase with them or they couldn't check into a hotel because they were considered a prostitute. So there's a story about two women that didn't have suitcases and um, went ahead and slept the night in a train station so they could get suitcases because otherwise they wouldn't have been admitted. But she follows people... um, We like Grace Kelly, who turned out to be not the person that we know. Uh, She was definitely not the girl next door. Um, She apparently shimmied down the hallways topless and um, had lots of boyfriends. So she she was different from her from her characters in her Alfred Hitchcock movies, and Rita Hayworth posed in um, the gym at the Barbizon for a very famous Life magazine shoot, wearing a two piece piece play suit and heels. But I just really enjoyed it because it just covers a time and a place, and of course I loved it because the women women were free. And with that, I will conclude, and I just wanted to thank you so much for tuning in again, and I will talk to you soon. And I wanted to let you know that next week, I'm going to have on my friend Liz Kelsey, who I grew up with, and we're going to look at, we're going to do a two-parter on the classics. So stay tuned then. Okay. Talk to you later.